and welcome to the Warhammer 40k book club. This is episode number 13, in which we're discussing Honorbound by Rachel Harrison. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k book club, where we read from a crag. Every episode, we discuss a book that we've selected from the Black Library's Warhammer 40,000 catalog. We post the book on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, along with questions to ponder during reading. Listeners are able to listen, listen, read the book, don't listen to the book, or listen to the book, and then tune in to hear our discussion. We encourage participation through Twitter, the site, or encrypted box channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go ahead, visit the site, check out the book, and then come back to this post as we'll be discussing the book in great detail from start to finish. As mentioned, this episode, we're talking about Honorbound by Rachel Harrison. The book is about a female commissar for the Antari 11th Rifles as they attempt to regain a world in the Bale Stars Crusade. We posted several questions to ourselves and our listeners, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Did you like the book? I did. It's I did too. It's it was fun. I can't say it's like, oh my god, this is the best book I've read this year, but it was right. a, it was a fun book. Mm-hmm. This this is what I would call a candy bar book. Where I guess, yeah. You read it with it a lot was of nice. blood. Yeah. It was a bloody candy bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but like it was one of those ones where you read it. That was nice. That was good, but it's not like it's not like a meal or anything, right? Or like right. fine dining. It um it was just it was good. It was a nice little snack. Yeah. Um I really I liked uh I liked it it moves pretty fast, I thought. The story we'll talk a little bit more about the story, um, but it you know, they presented the plot and went through pretty quickly and I really liked the characters and yeah, I liked it. What parts really stood out to you? Oh geez. Well, the big one that stood out to me, because I actually wrote this down right when it okay. happened, is Psychers on Leashes. So I mentioned, I talked to you that when I hear of sanctioned psychers, I'm thinking of, because I know that if you have any psychic ability, the black ships come and are like, sup? And they see how your ability is. Mm-hmm. And if it's like certain levels, you get used for other things. Correct. You, like maybe you could become an Astartes and be, you know, a librarian or an inquisitor. We see a lot of inquisitors that have psychic abilities. Um, and I knew that sometimes they had psychers, they had sanctioned psychers out on the field. I didn't know that a sanctioned psyker meant you have a leash. Oh, yeah. Well, so that's and that's actually one of the questions that I wanted to talk about was that Lydia Zane is a very rare glimpse at a sanctioned psyker in the field. And I thought that was really cool in this book because um, typically, so because of the dangers of the warp, the knee-jerk reaction is pretty strong when they find like, oh, you have psychic abilities? We're either killing you right now or we'll call the black ships. Um, a good example is in the Gaunt's Ghost series, Ogun Sorik is a very powerful psyker. He has, he's a precog. And um, as soon as they find that out, they turn him into the black ships and he gets taken because they can use those precog abilities, right? So it really just kind of depends. It's less, um, typically at that point, you're probably an adult. And so at that point, it's typically, all right, what type of weapon can we turn you into? But yeah, when you get put into a sanctioned psyker on the field, they need to be able to kill you like that. Because I was also because, thinking, you know, I was also thinking of um, Patient Keys. Yes. Because she's a sanctioned psyker. She's not an inquisitor, but she's working with the Inquisition. She's. Or is she not yes. sanctioned? 
She's not a sanctioned, I wouldn't call Patience a sanctioned psyker per se. She's more of a psyker that Inquisitor found, he realized her use. She's like a well-kept house pet. Like, you know, you found the stray dog in the street, it didn't bite you, it seems like a really nice dog, so he's gonna keep it and he's gonna use it. Um, she's probably not on any registry, because especially being a telekine like Lydia Zane mm -hmm. is, I feel as though they could have found a use for her that would have been a little less pleasant than what uh, Ravener was using. But Ravener is kind of a, Ravener is a soft soul for an Inquisitor, right? He has a soft spot for Psykers being one himself. And um, and not just the fact that he's probably pretty soft in his little floating coffin. Yeah, so I just liquid. figured he's very squishy in there. Yeah. It's, whenever they describe the... Um, the princeps for the titans and stuff they're like in the vats of liquid too and yeah. i'm like you that's gross <laughs> anyways it's like a really grim dark universe um they uh but yeah so she was and that was really cool i thought for this because not only do they show her they actually humanize her and they make her this main this major character and you get to see the isolation that she mm -hmm. has in some ways I joked about this with my husband, and I know you haven't seen Stranger Things, but I was like, oh, she's the grim, dark, adult version of Eleven. Like, if Eleven had grown up in this, because a lot of the stuff that they talk about, I was like, oh, I'm starting to see some, you know, things smacking of Eleven here. And um, just that, and that was the thing for me, there's that crushing isolation of her. It was very nice. I, I See what I, I got. The part that stood out to me as well, and I don't know how to say that. Like I liked it, but didn't like it at the same time. I didn't like it for several reasons. Um, okay. It made me. It remind, first of all, it reminded me of Robert Jordan, and that's obviously not going to make me very happy because you probably don't remember, but there is that faction of sorceresses that are collared I, and leashed. I? Yes, I don't remember their name. They were yeah collared. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Right. Right. So that's actually the first thing that I thought of. Right. Was, was that. And then um, because Terry Goodkind also took an adaptation of that with his own sort of truth series, not as extreme as Robert Jordan, but he still took his own adaptation. Um. And I also was thinking of Dragon Age, because uh, the Canari. Because the Canari, that's what they do to their mages. They blind them, they break their horns, and basically torture them to do under their command. So I had. She a... reminded me more of a circle mage. Like, do you remember in Dragon Age Two, kind of how those circle mages they had been before Meredith goes crazy, um, they had kind of been ground into submission. And that kind of felt like this. Because remember, they have that vial of blood that they can kill you in an instant if they need to. Right. Um, and that's what the Templars are for. So I actually, I didn't get as much of a Canari vibe, but the Dragon Age, it very much. But it's also that... The same, fear of magic. That's... Magic is dangerous and people are flawed. Right. Yeah, so that that's just, that's really what's what stood out to me. Uh, yeah, but it was Robert Jordan first, so... That already had a problem. And then I went into, you know, Dragon Age and it's like, right, there's something seriously wrong because these are people that they're people doing People who can to. kill you with a thought. I understand. And maybe it's honestly the um, X-Man fanatic in me 
But, you know, there's a lot of that as well. Right. You know, uh, yes, you know, Jean Grey, Professor X, they could kill everybody with a thought, but does that mean that we have to tie them up and make them subservient to our will? So there's this, like, you know, a lot well, of that. Yes. I think the difference, and it's very much, again, very much like the Dragon Age mages, is that there's forever this danger that something could walk into this person. Like, the X-Men don't really have that. Like, there's not a danger of a demon stepping inside of Jean Grey. Um, Shadow King says hello. <laughs> I know. As soon as I said that, I was like, oh, frack. Anyways. <laughs> but typically with most of them, right? Like, right. there's not really that constant ever-present. Whereas with these guys, at any minute, you could be talking to Lydia Zane... Or you could be talking to a greater demon of Zeech. Or not a greater demon, probably. But, you know, you could be talking to something that's not Lydia Zane. Um, and they do talk like, about... Like Dragon Age. Exactly. Exactly. So you get these abominations running around. And I understand the fear. It Because I liked Lydia Zane, reading the book, a lot of it... I Relating her to Patience Kiss, I was like, oh, man, honey, like... If only an Inquisitor could have found you, like if Ravener could have found you or somebody else who could have found you and would have at least, you'd still be a weapon for hire, but you wouldn't have had like the big crown and just the constant, well, the constant about, fear and suspicion. You're talking about the machines that are whirring on her back and, you The know, crown, yeah. Yeah, it just, yeah. Yeah, and like when you look up, if you look up the, the art of Sanction Psychers, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> like that crown and that machine stuff on the back. Yeah, it's I gotta not. Look this up. It's not subtle. Like, hey, grim dark future. What's up? Pretty much. But again, like you need to be able to watch the. I mean, they, the Imperium is so scared of these people, and it was really interesting. Like when they talk about her, um, in the tents, and how far away her tent is from right. everybody. Else, not only that, but right? they have the circle of salt around it. Yes. Oh, yeah. And how everybody's just spare me the ways of the witch. And she's like, ugh. And I think uh, one of the things that I thought about, too, there was with, um, do you remember in the Talon of Horus, whenever Lior would call, would refer to it as magic or something like that, and uh, Skander Kane would just be like, ugh, don't call it that. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. um, that made me think of this a lot, too. Like, just, I just felt bad for her. Felt what? so bad for her. I understood it, but I felt bad for her. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Subtle. It's 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 a collar and a leash. I mean, there's really. It's exactly what it is. No, no other way to to go around it. But you mm -hmm. know, it's also, it, you know, I have the thousand suns on my mind a lot lately. Right. And it also just kind of makes me sad because, if, I mean, if 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 right, like, if absolutely Horace hadn't intercepted. Uh, the message to uh, Lehman Russ, which then would not have broken uh, Magnus's back. So Magnus would have been taken back to his father. He could have told his father exactly what was going on without mm -hmm. opening the webway, blah, 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 blah. So the Thousand Sons would, they, they would, I am convinced, they would be on the loyal loyalist side. And Absolutely. If they, and if they were on the loyalist side, there wouldn't be sanctioned psychers like this. Yes, they'd be going to the black ships, but I think that the thousand suns would be coming through and taking them and teaching them. 
Because one thing that they do talk about a lot is about, Mm -hmm. you know, um, how much they enjoy teaching others. The Tizkin libraries and (laughs) for sure, for sure. Um, You also have one of the things that really surprised me about Lydia Zane is that these the Antari, they're very much um, they're very much rooted in Irish mythology in that Irish more of like that Celtic style, I would say. proto-roman but pre uh pre-anglo i guess like the it was more there's a little, lot of a primitiveness to them so i was actually really shocked so you're, so you're that they talking about have like, a psychic like the celts like yes that yes far back. like the actual celts yeah and it was a little interesting to me that they would even have a, a psyker because they're so superstitious and they're so primitive i'm surprised that they would even that they could even be convinced to have her with them at all so that was actually a bit of a surprise to me um but again i mean i really her character was a pleasant surprise to me a really pleasant surprise to me because as soon as they said they had a sanctioned psycho i was like oh i wonder where this is gonna go it didn't go that way uh, <laughs> which is always nice. especially oh it's always nice especially um talk more about that in a sec but um once the uh especially like once everybody's kind of tempting her the fact that she's like no i am strong and i will resist oh you're just a really cool character like i just really liked her yeah i was whenever the temptation started like even early on like oh god don't let this happen because that's so predictable and we've seen that before and i don't know i every single eisenhorn ever um Ravener, right. take your pick. Well, so one of the things that also stood out to me that along those lines is that she's introduced to, an, they introduce another commissar, a male commissar, uh, Vander, very early on. And he doesn't like Rain because of her lineage. She has a father and a sister who were both killed for treason. And he very much looks down on her for it. So I was kind of seeing him as like the stereotypical, like, oh, I don't like your kind. But then at the end, when she's confronting the Lord General militant, and he's like, I don't have to answer to you. And Vander steps up and says, no, no, no one is above the commissariat. I want to hear what she has to say. I liked this idea that he wasn't a bad guy. He was a bit of a dick, Mm -hmm. but he wasn't a bad guy. He just was very principled. So as soon as that guy oh, no, I don't have to answer to you. (laughs) Yeah, you do. (laughs) Because we're the commissariat and you do answer to us. And I thought that that was so nice. It was just such a nice moment. I was like, oh, a nice lump of sugar for you. You're not, again, you're not a bad guy. Just kind of a dick, which is okay. There's room for that. Right. So that moment, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, you. Well, that kind of makes it more human. Very much so. And less of a cliche. Right, he's not twirling his mustache or, you know, popping his collar. He's just a guy. Oh, he totally pops his collar. (laughs) He He went through a phase when he was in the commissariat school. Uh, (laughs) The double pop collar. Yeah, he has boat shoes. Um, No, I, exactly. He's a little bit of a stereotype, but he's not like, he had this nice little, oh, okay, cool. No, you're just a dude. You're just a dude. Um. I loved the whole Wick and Zane friendship that blossomed. Um, 
if you read our site at all, you'll I can't know even. That- I can, I don't even know if it's really even a friendship. I think it's more of to me is more of a mutual respect. So, if you read the site, if you read our site at all, you know, shameless plug, that um, I was really excited that Honor Bound is the first official romance novel in the Warhammer 40k catalog. And I do not say that is a bad thing. I say it is a good thing. I read grimdark science fiction, dark horror, and Western romance novels. <laughs> um, I've read like a lot of romance novels, you guys. And so one of the constant, one of the, this book, and I don't, again, I don't say this is a bad thing because I'm a fan of this, this genre. So this book hits like all the entire romance novel checklist, every single one of them it hits. But one of the things is that there's always a group, a, a guy and a, a woman and a man who don't like each other. They hate each other. And then begrudgingly they become friends. And then at the end they fall in love or the next book suddenly they're a couple. Um, so I'm holding out for that for Zane and Wick because Wick was my favorite. <laughs> really liked that, it made me really happy. Um, as I said, this book was like a candy bar. It was just that little sugar rush that- I had a very hard time with Wick. That's because you are a judgy McJudgerson. <laughs> no, it's totally fair. Actually, so in the beginning, so again, in, because you don't read the Gone's Ghost series, when he first was introduced, I was like, oh, here's Lija Koo. Um, but then no, he becomes kind of more of this uh, more of like a Merton Vagor or even Elam Ron type character in so much as, yeah, he's kind of, he's sketchy and he does some bad stuff. He's not a good dude, but he is still a fighter and he does still fight for his people. And he's complicated. Well, I, I like broken things. Uh, I don't say he's a bad guy because he, he's not. He um, has definite issues. Mm-hmm. Um, slight drug addiction. Um, and that's I think and and I think that's what's causal that I would say that's probably caused 100% of his problems is his drug addiction and and trying to end the withdrawal symptoms because he even talks about how you know when Lai said no he didn't even remember hitting her until she hit him you know just all these things of rage but at the same time but he is extremely loyal. He'll do anything to help his people. He could have killed Odd later for betraying him. Absolutely. And the thing is that Odd, in my opinion, did not do the entire thing. And he did not do the right thing. No. By turning him in, he should have confronted him. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe he might have been scared for his life, but still or even have gone directly to the commissar himself but he didn't want to get in trouble so he went to another guy he went to a go-between he went to another captain right which but which wick was his captain right his sergeant sorry that's right they didn't have a captain um, right that group right and um no i i really liked him but like his whole arc really stood out to me and i was like oh this is a really nice character arc for him I liked that a lot of the characters, and don't don't get me wrong, a lot of these characters, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but a lot of these characters are reminiscent of the ghosts. They're, you can definitely see the... I'm having some trouble tonight, you guys. It's been a really long day. 
Oh, I just dropped my book for those people listening. Um, onto my collarbone. Anyways, um, I there's a lot of inspiration from the ghosts in here that I really liked, but nobody felt like, oh, okay, this is clearly this character just wearing a different name. But um, could that also be because the ghosts is also about a commissar? Oh, for sure. It would have a lot of those same elements. Oh, for sure. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, too. Um, but I just... I really liked that all the characters felt really great. Um, I loved Chris. That Chris was great. She was probably my uh, favorite character. She was awesome. She was just awesome. She reminded me of like a cross between Vasquez and Aliens. And there's a comic series by Kelly Sue DeConnick called Bitch Planet that I didn't like it overall, but there were parts of it I really liked. There was a character in there named Penny Roll. And she... <laughs> She just reminded me of Chris, just this big, Penny Roll was a much angrier character, but just this big, brash fighter who, in in a fantasy universe, I feel like she would have been like a half-orc. Like, you know, she was just this, I liked her, and she was just happy-go-lucky. Like, I like how they talked about how she was just constantly in a good mood, even though she's doing some really awful things, like, you know, explosion, explosives and stuff. But her character was just fun. And she was honest. You knew where she yes. was. At all times. Oh, yes. oh, and when she confronts Wick and she's just like, that's not true, right? And he talks about how she gets this look of, oh, no. He realizes he can't lie to her. Yeah, that was just so nice. So with everything that's going on in the universe of Warhammer 40K, Honor Bound's fairly straightforward, right? How does this compare with some of the lore-heavy books we've been reading? Well, I was actually had written down that it's... You know, it's so it's actually nice that we had a little break from some of the lore heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, stepping outside of the Astartes, uh, overall, I, like I, I think every book we've read has dealt with some sort of Astartes. I mean, yeah, yeah, because I mean, Sisters of Silence—they're still working with the Custodes, which is still part of the Astartes. Um, so. It was nice. It was kind of a, all right, let's see what the other people, the common folk, are doing in this grim, dark future. Right. And they're just keeping on, keeping on. <laughs> I think that was what stood out to me the most and what I liked was this idea that Gulliman is back. There's Primaris Marines. Cadia has fallen. Belisarius Call is doing some call shit. Um, the Alpha Legion, who the hell knows what's going on with them? They've just revealed that the entire universe, the religion, is not just slightly based on Lorgar, it's based on Lorgar. But for your common soldier, same shit, different day. Like, right. this story really could have taken place at any point. It could have taken place in the 37th millennium, the 39th, the 40th, the 41st, the 42nd. It's just, for your rank-and-file guys. Did just, we even have a date in here? Um... Oh, you know what? They said something was said in here that I was like, oh, I think this is this makes it the 42nd millennium um, post Cadia. And I can't remember what it was, but there was something in there that I was like, oh, yeah, that would make I think that would set this. But I just not that it matters. I was just curious. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. But like and that's what was interesting about it is that. Yeah, this for the normal for your average trooper. None of that matters. And it was it was kind of nice. Again, the candy bar analogy. Where you're not like, oh my god, what does this mean for the universe? It's like, oh. right. There's nothing they're uncovering that affects. No! <laughs> no, not universe. at all! You 
Yeah, there was nothing like that. It was just, oh, okay, good. It's good to know that the Imperial Guard, because I refuse to say Astra Militarum, the Imperial Guard is still kicking ass and taking names. You know, and there's, I know there's a lot of memes on Reddit for where it's like, um, you know, that the the uh, Imperial Guard are really the ones holding up the Imperium while the Astartes get all the credit, right? And so it kind of reminds you of that, that it is, life of a guardsman sucks, yo. Right? Like, really sucks. And that's one of the cool things about reading um, Cadia Stands mm-hmm. as well, was that it was half and half. Actually, I would say it was three quarters and a quarter. Right. Most of it was about the the Cadian Guard. Mm-hmm. And then there was a little bit that had some of the space wolves. And, you know, as I've learned later, apparently St. Celestine was there and, you know, um, other Doing things. Doing the Celestine thing. Right. You know, other things were, were going on. But the story of Cadia Stands was just what this one section of the Imperial Guard was right. doing. While the So it's one of those that, yes, it's about the Imperial Guard. And yet it's a part of a very huge lore changing moment for the entire right. everything really. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things in Watches of the Throne that I was like, oh wow, that's a really good point, is when it's Terra. Okay, it's Terra, the base of operations. And they're like, you know, there's something weird going on with Cadia. Like, the fact that the news from Cadia really kind of gets fed to them, you get the impression, like, considerably after Cadia, right? Like, at least, and he even says, he's like, yeah, we hear about stuff sometimes months and years after it happens. I didn't even get the impression that any of these guys knew about Cadia. Well, they didn't like, have they, an astropath. Right? With so, them. But that's what, that's what also makes it interesting, is that, you know, Cadia the bastion before the eye of terror has fallen these guys don't know doesn't matter to them and so that actually made this kind of cool to read right and again because you're not constantly like okay what does this mean <laughs> like it's just good job right like we're not constantly wondering Kill like yes people. yes there could totally be you know a sequel and you know and a whole other series attached to this character but it's not one of those like, okay, so now how are they going to affect the Imperium next? Right. Exactly. It, uh, how are they going to affect the Bale Stars Crusade? But I think this also drove home because, you know, in the beginning of every Warhammer 40k book is the thing, um, the exact line is, to be a man in such times is to be one amongst untold billions. This book really kind of drove that point home. Right. This is just another system that's under another assault by chaos it's just you know another day the again it's the it's the whole russian philosophy to war we've got a billion bodies throw them at it it was so i really liked that i thought that was pretty neat and harrison has clearly given a lot of thought to the antari and she's built this world for them and this history and this unit did you like them as a group as a group, yeah. Uh, again, I did kind of pull a Dragon Age comparison because I was kind of comparing the Antari to the Ferelden. Very and, much so. And, uh, gosh, I remember the other... The Cravone to um, the Masked Empire. Yes, the Orlesians. Yeah. Just because, like, you know, because they would even make fun. I was like, well, hey, Highborn. You know, they, right. You know, and they were like, yeah, those primitives down there like in the muck it totally reminded me of Orlais versus Ferelden um, 
Uh, like, I don't know. I'm curious. I want to ask her, did you, have you played Dragon Age? Because I know she's a big gaming nerd. I just don't know she's a right. video gaming nerd. Um, but, but yeah, but obviously because I like Ferelden better than I've liked Orlay, I did, I did like the Antari. There are some parts of them, you know, I had issues with. And, but it reminded, but again, it reminded like me what? of Ferelden. Well, just how they treated Zane. But again, yeah. it was just like, like Dragon Age. It's a mage. Oh, Oh no! Like even though it's a mage on a leash, oh, it's no. not. A, it's not an impostate. It's yeah. just no. We we just we just don't. But there's a lot of things I thought that they had. You know, really um, things to admire about them. Their their loyalty. Um, even if they don't like you, they're still loyal because it's part of the friendship. Um, right. You know, because because uh, even when Wick was having issues with Colot. The two of them were trying, trying to do that tussle. And at the end, Wick didn't kill him. He got him back into the loyalty graces. Right. Because even points, he's like, I could have turned you in for this. Absolutely. But I'm not going to. Absolutely. Well, and I liked the idea, like when Zane saves Wick, and she's like, and now we're even. Right. Because it's this, this thing. And I really like, so I really like, I always liked the Tanith, because the Tanith were very based in Celtic mythology as well. They were much more leaning towards the Scots, then, but they definitely had some Irish and Welsh, um, like in their names and stuff, and heavily tattooed. All like again from the planet of hats. They all have black hair, blue eyes. Um, these guys all have gray eyes. Um, but I always liked that the Tanith had this very strong mythology and the strong background. And these guys, I think, have it even more so. Like I loved the idea of the units all being named after mythological creatures, right? Like the fire hawks and stuff. That's so cool. And I love the wild folk with the, um, when they get the two new Voidborn guys in and they're like, okay, tell me about the wild folk. Well, you have to pay them blood or else they'll take your blood. Okay. And they show, they all have the mm-hmm. cut that is like, this is important. You have to show this. And I just, I loved that. Like that's, that was the type of stuff that it like hits me in the warm fields where it checks down all my boxes. Cause like, this is so cool. And this wasn't just, oh, these guys, they fight together, I guess. Like, she's clearly, they always, like, the, you can always tell a really good author, like, if you were to ask her some random question about the planet, she'd be able to tell you. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, what was the capital city? Like, oh, here's this. Right? So I feel like she definitely has built up this world. And I really liked that. And I liked the idea that they had all these little specializations. Again, the Tanith did that a lot, too, where they had people who were, they were renowned for something. So I really liked that. Look, these guys are just bruisers. Put them with the wild folk. That was great. That was so fun. And it gave it such a nice flavor. Mm-hmm. Who was your favorite? Chris. So my favorite show and comic series growing up as a kid, I'm about to like reveal a bottom of myself, was G.I. Joe. Um, I have the entire Marvel run. Um I really liked it. I really like ensemble pieces where there's like, here's these like 10 main-ish characters, pick your favorite. So I really liked that, that there was somebody in here. It felt like there was somebody in here for everyone. Oh, do you like sneaky people? We got sneaky boys. Being a gender neutral term there. Um, you know, if you like, oh, you like fighters. We've got fighters. You like these people. We've got these people. Obviously my favorites were Zane and Wick. Um, but I just, I liked that idea that there was, as I was reading this, I was like, oh, okay. So you... With 
with Abnet, with Tan the Tanith, I always felt, and actually this also extends to Caiaphas Kane too, I always felt that you could see their clear favorites and that it wasn't really intentionally, oh, I want this to be somebody's favorite character. Mm -hmm. I got the strong feeling that she wrote a lot of these characters like, oh, I hope this becomes somebody's favorite. I could be projecting onto that, but I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I actually did Rain, like Fell as well. And that's just, and it's not because of the romance part, which is actually very unlike me, because uh, I, I am a big romance person at heart as well. No, I don't read the Western romances, but I do get more attached to things when there is right. a romance involved. I get a little bit, a little bit more excited about it. Um, and it wasn't even because of that. It was because, honestly, because he's so smart. Yes. Like when he was infiltrating uh, the Cavrone facilities both times, just on his feet, so smart, knows exactly, you know, what to say, what to do. Yep. Um, yeah, just the sneakiest of the sneaky boys. Right. There's a scene, and I cannot remember, I think it's his last command. It's one of the Gaunt's Ghost books where Owen McCall, the scout master, is sitting in this chair. And they're all, all these people are sitting in this room in all these chairs and everybody's moving and the chairs are creaking like crazy, but his isn't. And somebody's like, why isn't his chair creaking? And he just looks at him. He's like, scout training. <laughs> McCall is one of my favorite ghosts. And um, so I just, for some reason, Fell had such a strong McCall. And it reminded me of that scene. Like in a lot of the stuff that he did, I was just like, scout training. <laughs> like the whole time reading it. And I did, I liked him as a character. He was... He didn't feel impossibly smooth. There yeah. was kind of an earnestness to him that yeah. I liked. Um, uh, which I think made the romance a little better, too. It was, um, to me, he was very human. Very. And that, like I said, he wasn't overly smooth. He wasn't out to sweep Severina off her feet. It was one of those things that it just no. kind of happened from they found they enjoyed bouncing ideas off of one another and they looked forward to talking and it became that it was actually their downtime to be able to right. talk to one another. And, you know, things just kind of grew in their minds from there. But at the same time, I felt like he was a little awkward and she sure. was too when she went to go see him in the, um, the Medicaid, you know, she loses her composure yeah. And uh, you could tell that Liza's like, oh, it's because she's lost another captain. And it's, you know, means like so much more to that because she actually breaks, you know, breaks character and grabs his hand. Yep. Um, which is then when he wakes up, which was a little cheesy, but at the same time, I, I kind of expected it at, at that point. Um, so you can add that to the checklist, the romance novel checklist. I'm not kidding, especially in the Western genre. Oh, really? The historical Western genre. Oh, God, yes. He or she will always be injured doing something risky to help the other person. And then the other person has horrible guilt about it. And they'll visit. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go fix it. I'm going to go right the wrongs. And they leave. And then the other person wakes up. No, tell them not to leave yet. It's too late. Hey. You guys, the other thing, by the way, the thing, I just have to throw this randomly, the thing, like, romance novel 101, nobody else would have noticed this gesture, but she or he did. She or he had no way of knowing that this gesture, a laugh, wasn't shown to everyone. Just add it to the checklist, you guys, and it melted my heart. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I was reading this book and I was like, yes, 
<laughs> look, okay, look, I want to point out that the Night Lord's Omnibus, and maybe this is why I like it so much, but it is a book about murder-happy chaos space marines, and it has one of my favorite romances in the entire Warhammer 40k catalog in it. I choose not to acknowledge Decimus as a thing, because ADB will not take this from me. But all the books, a lot of the classic stories have really good romances in them, so... I agree. We're not the only people with feelers. And this book hit my feelers. You know, one really part, you know, one thing I did have a hard time with when I got it was became obvious it was a bit of a romance. And I was like, "Oh, I'm dig, I'm digging this because I do like romance novels." Um, but at the same time I was like, "Oh my god, is this author going to get judged for this because she's a woman writing a romance?" So you know what was funny about this needless to say my husband has not read any of my romance novels crazy i know my husband really enjoyed this book and when i was say like when i would be like oh my god this is romance novel 101 he's like no i think you're being really harsh on that i don't think that's a thing okay i've read at least 100 romance novels maybe two like if i count the shit that i read when i was a teenager so like i i know my shit and <laughs> But he didn't pick up on it as much, where I would be like, oh, that's, like, so cheesy. Like, in a few places, he was like, yeah, it was a little hokey. But he still liked it. I mean, it's still, I think she did a really good job of balancing the murder-death-kill. Because it's still, I, I say it's a romance novel, but it's a Warhammer 40k romance novel. There's the only still difference between this, the reason why I, believe, I agree with you that this is the first romance, officially the first romance novel, mm -hmm. Is because the couple ends up together at the end and they're happy. Because yes. I mean, because I can look at Eisenhorn because there is definitely a huge level of romance in that. Oh my God, so much! But he never gets together with uh, Elizabeth, and there's two reasons for that. One, she's a blank, so that yeah, never he can't. no. Two, she's perpetually in a coma. Makes it kind of hard. Well, it doesn't make it hard. It makes it creepy as fuck. At least Eisenhorn has some standards, I guess. Yeah. But either way, she's, she's still a blank. So you can go to Ravener. Okay. So Ravener, he's lost his fiance. Um, he's doesn't really have those feelings anymore. But, you know, Kara gets a relationship with this guy. He dumps her like that as soon yep. as he finds out that she was hiding um, Carl from everybody and um gosh that was the only one in that i think oh no harlan nail had harlan his, nail had and she yeah. was eaten by a tyranid um yeah she's kilt yeah and um you know caiaphas kane he has his girlfriend who's an inquisitor uh dan abnett the ghosts there's like so many romances so i've never really quite forgiven dan abnett for breaking up gaunt and anna kurth by the way that's like a thing that I'm still I still have like I still have harsh feelings about but you know we also talked about with apocalypse there is that little romance moment between these two and just as they pull away from a kiss he looks up and there's a raven guard coming at him <laughs> so like, that does not end happily <laughs> no I feel like that's a bit of a mood killer right like I guess we're done here <laughs> um, with life uh, 
Actually, that was really funny to me when that happened. Because I think I even made the joke on the podcast where I was like, and that's romance in the Warhammer 40k universe. Exactly. That's my point. Is that, yes, there might be some moments of romance, but it's not, they're not going to end up together one way or another. It's not going to be happy. And we're going to make sure it's not happy. This one actually had a happy ending. The Night Lords, the Night Lords trilogy has the happy ending. Until a short story comes back and makes it clear that there was no happy end. <laughs> I'm sorry. Which I don't. I, I pretend that one doesn't exist. But you know, you got night lords to begin with, and but Septimus and Octavia. Happy that. romance just doesn't seem to kind of mesh with their jive. I'm just saying that you can find romance even on a murder happy chaos ship. So, but <laughs> focusing. Sure, sure. Um, Severina Rain. She's a really uncompromising com- commissar. Uh, I feel as though we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, she's really uncompromising. Did you like her as a character? Was she relatable? I did like her. I liked her for quite a few reasons. Um, she was uncompromising, but that's kind of what I expect commissars to be. Mm-hmm. And at first, I thought she was so unrelenting. I was like, oh my gosh, she's got that stereotypical, you know, feminist chip on her shoulder. But then I realized, no, wait, this is Warhammer. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. You're up to, to duty. And I realized that what that chip on that shoulder was, that uh, mode of proving herself was because they were judging her not for being a woman, but because of her family, which I thought was incredibly unfair, which is just as unfair as being judged as a woman. And so I found it relatable with with that, um, just how she dealt with it. Because when you're in that situation, when someone is constantly looking at you to fail, whether it's because of your gender, your race, your family, you have to be yes, unbowing and sturdy and never show emotions and never let anybody know what you're thinking at all times. Because if you feel, whether it's true or not, you feel if you show a little crack in anything to anybody, it's all over for you. Absolutely. One of the things I really liked about her was, and I've always said in the past that Warhammer 40k universe is uncompromisingly feminist in that when you're fighting evil incarnate, a body's a body and everybody fights. And one of the things that I've loved about all the Warhammer 40k books we've ever read is that none of the female characters ever have to go through some tawdry, gaudy, you have to respect me as a woman. And, you know, they're just accepted as authority figures. On a harada. Look about it. It's equal across the board. It doesn't matter oh, what yeah. color Does not you are. Matter because Nobody can you cares. hold a gun? Go hold a gun. Right. Um, but one of the things that I really liked is that so typically so Severina has faith in the Imperial faith. She has faith in the commissariat. Um, typically when we're introduced to these characters who are very um zealous, I look at Father Matthew from play yeah, exactly right like most times we're presented with these very devout believing characters they're douches or evil and she actually reminded me a lot of kamala khan who's the new ms marvel uh, if you ever read that first especially that first uh collected story of her like when they're first introducing her she's one of the first very devoutly religious comic book characters who isn't evil or crazy or has to learn to no longer be religious her religion is her strength for Kamala Khan, she often goes back onto she's Muslim, so she often goes back onto passages from the Quran to when she's when she's feeling scared, right? And so I really liked that Severina had this her faith in the commissariat and her faith in the emperor was her strength, and that she believed this unflinchingly. 
And it made her really interesting because I feel especially like we've read a lot of books lately where they've really been questioning the imperial doctrine. And mm -hmm. a lot of the books kind of had the subtext of, is this really the right way we should be doing things here? Um, and I felt like this was, nope, this is 100% the way that we should be doing things. This is exactly. But again, I think it's, it's probably that Astartes. I was just about to say, versus, it's that difference yeah, versus, between the common man. Right. That's right. every man. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Captain Everyman here. Um, yeah, that you could see that that was really a thing in her. And I liked that because a lot of times, obviously outside of Caiaphas Kane in the Gaunt's Ghost series, the commissars aren't always painted with a great... I mean, they're terrifying. They're the people who are there to kill you, to inspire you to keep fighting. Um, My first introduction to a commissar was in our favorite Ultramarines book. That would be the fifth book. Because uh, that commissar just enjoyed... This was the commissar who went into the prisons and was just beating the Tau to death. Just just because he could. Because reasons, TM. Yeah. No, it's, it's 100. It's typically they're not portrayed in a good light. Because I think it would be very easy for them to get power crazy. So I, I understand. Um, but I liked that and again with Vander too he's not a bad guy he's a dick and he's a little uncompromising but he's not a bad guy he was also a, just a commissar who's like these are the rules mm -hmm. this is what we enforce this is what we follow and I liked that and I liked that as soon as she realized that something was wrong she was gonna hunt it down I I didn't like the central mystery at all but um, I did like that she was no nope, we're gonna find this out but that she was smart about it I feel as though a lot of times when you have characters like that who are, oh, something's wrong, they don't handle it in the best way and they make like a bunch of really bad decisions. I felt like everything she did, she was like, okay, I have to be careful with this. Yes, yes, you do. Like, like as in not trust anybody. Exactly, exactly. And she doesn't just like start yelling at everybody she finds, yes, their Bible is a lie. It's clearly corruption. Like, no, she's very diplomatic about it. And she's like, okay, we got to tread carefully because this is like a big deal. Um, even I like when, that. even when, uh, uh, Vander is, you know, skewered and she's just like, well, I'm never going to have a better time to interrogate the man until right. now, you know, but at the same time, even though she is interrogating him, she doesn't present all the cards. She presents no. just enough for him to possibly hang himself. And right. he doesn't because there's nothing there. And she does it in such a way, because she kind of focuses on her sister as well, like makes her sister kind of a red herring and all this. Yes. So that he will never come to her later and be like, what are you talking about? So it's very, very smart all around. Mm -hmm. This was yeah. not one of those, why are you going upstairs? Don't go in the basement. Right. We have to escape. Let's go to the basement. Um, Where's my favorite no, Geico commercial? We need to hide behind the wall of chainsaws. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Her, yeah, exactly. Um, I liked that. I liked that she was very clever. Um, I think I said, I, I texted you. I read a lot of mysteries, too. I used to, at least, and I watch a shit ton of movies. Uh, so I texted you at page 88. When they first introduced the Lord Militant, and he's like, I escaped alone. I texted you and was like, oh, is this going to be the plot from Underworld? So... I immediately was like, oh, it's this guy. 
And then when they kept throwing out these red herrings, it was like, yeah, I know it's it's that other guy though. He's clearly the villain here. And then it's it's not exactly the plot from Underworld, but it's I mean, he's clearly the villain. And so then again, just from familiarity with the genre. And then when they when they revealed him at the end, that was my only thing where I was like, yes, I, I know, I know it's him. Like cut to the chase. But I did like that she at least. So even though I didn't like the mystery, I liked how she handled it. And I liked that she was smart about it and that she herself was clever and that Fel was smart and clever as well. Mm-hmm. That I really liked. And that made me feel, gave me the warm fuzzies. So um, I did not get Jen's Underworld reference because it's a big standing joke between us, but it's probably a given if you ask, have you seen this movie? The answer is going to be no. And it's gotten to the point now that it actually astounds her with what movies I've actually seen. <laughs> This is what I haven't seen. Yeah, that's true, actually. So I didn't get that. And honestly, I did not see Sarah coming because I forgot about him. Because <laughs> he was just in there for like, you know, a few paragraphs, a few pages. And then he just exited stage left. Now, right. I knew that General Silar was part of it. He was too much of a conceited yes. asshole not to Literally be. Literally twirling the mustache. But at the same time, I knew he couldn't be the head of it because that's too obvious. Right. So I did, and he's wasn't, not quite high enough. Right. So I wasn't exactly sure. Like, honestly, where I was going was that he was actually a spy with the cult is where my thinking was kind of going. Fair. But it was a matter of, well, who in the cult would it be? But no one ever came up, really, in, in the right. cult. So I was still kind of confused at how this was going to tie together. So when it was him, I was like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, I forgot about that guy. Right. Okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, he just just kind of come and say some things and then leave. I'm so used to looking for it in mysteries. The one person who is trying to be incredibly helpful. Right. So I was actually looking at Tula. And then Tula was oh. hung. I'm like, okay. Uh, Interesting. Guess not. So that's because that's usually where it goes. And so then my next thought was maybe Gail. Because, again, someone who's being incredibly helpful. Right. So Sarek was a villain, but was he an understandable villain? Like, how did you feel about his overall ploy? I mean, in a way, his... The reason he became a villain, I think, taps into something that everybody fears at their core and that is and it's something actually this book touched on in the very fucking beginning i don't want to die yep and that's like she had to execute that guy yep because he ran because he didn't want to die and she said if you didn't want to die you should have stayed and fought and killed him and it's that same thing he did not want to die so i think that is very understandable i think many of us if we get you know that choice that chance at the very end to continue to live we may not weigh in everything and this guy with as arrogant as he was or became i believe he really felt he could overcome this well, I think he was definitely an ends justify the means kind of guy, right? Like, yes, I'm having to kill some people and I'm doing some evil things, but I am the one holding the shit together. This entire crusade falls without me. 
and that he was looking more of like bigger picture like yeah i'm having to do some shady shit but ultimately we're gonna stamp out this cult i'm fighting for the emperor this world needs me at the same time though he's perpetuating the whole thing right but i don't think he doesn't see that though right because all he sees is his ends to the meat means to the end right and that because that's one thing i argued with the whole book every time they're like um capture and preserve i'm like no you nuke this from the sky like how is this why is this even question and i knew at that point like god it was like vietnam you know you let the politicians deal with vietnam you just keep throwing bodies into it when what you should have done is done bombings from the sky would have been over um and that's what i felt like this like this was i I didn't i didn't understand it which is why i was kind of looking towards the um, Cravone, mm-hmm. one because of how they were acting. Not only that, but they were the ones, especially that general, that was like, preserve. We have right. to preserve everything. And even, you know, Wick, he was just like, do you understand? These are like heresy machines on wheels. We're going to blow them up. All right. Right. And so when the one Cravone's like, oh, yeah, here they come. They're coming to arrest you. This is the guy because he didn't preserve. And like, no, 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 that's cool. You did the right thing there. But, um, we got to talk about something else. Right. Um, I can't imagine Sarek not understanding that he he's not solving the crusade. He's perpetuating it because he needs the cult to finalize how to keep extending his life. But isn't that, I mean, isn't that the nature of corruption? Especially at that stage. Because remember, he's like, I'm the reason that this is going together. And oh, I, I'm necessary and I'm fighting and blah, blah, blah. Except for the fact that you died, technically right. died, before this crusade. Uh, true. But you remember that then after she shoot, after he pops back up and all that, they talk about how his eyes are no longer as blue. Mm-hmm. And you can see that like whatever fog was over him lifts. And then he, that's when he's like, I just didn't want to die. Right. So you can tell that he's like built up the story. And I'm sure there's probably some warp presence going, yeah, 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 totally. They, oh, they need, this is fine. Sorry, you bring in fate marks. There's some warp entity going on here. Exactly. So I'm sure that he, this justification in his mind was totally being fil- fed by something else going, yeah, no, you totally got the right of it, buddy. You're good. And it wasn't until that fades that all of a sudden, I just didn't want to die. And it's, it's not, it's not justifiable, obviously, and that was evil and awful, but you do, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's why chaos is so awful, right? Oh, you don't want to die? We got something for you. It's very much like with Magnus, right? Right. You know, I mean, you can, you, there's, I love the villains that when they fall, you understand, like, oh, I get it. Like, I get why you felt, like, I get it. That's, that's awful. I mean, we're still going to kill you because <laughs> you're an asshole, but I get it. He wasn't, it wasn't one of those things either where he was just like, oh, because I just read a story. Um, it was a short story. I can't remember who it's by, but it was about the Catachan and this guy who he starts selling weapons to the enemy because he realizes he's a general and he realizes that there's not, the Imperial Guard doesn't have a great retirement plan. <laughs> Pension fund sucks. <laughs> So he's like, look, I'm making myself a millionaire and then I'm just going to peace out one of these days. So that's also probably why I pieced this one together pretty quickly too. Cause I was like, I, was, I just wrote a story about this, but I was really glad when it wasn't something as, 
I guess as obvious or just tacky as I'm just trying to make money. Like it was the guy just wanted to keep fighting. He just don't want to die. Right. You know? So one of the things <laughs> that drove me crazy throughout this whole book, that dampening disc is obviously a big deal. That's Eldari tech. You think so? I mean, honestly, so when she picked up the dampening disc at the end, I was like, oh, right. I totally forgot about that. Like, Sarah, totally I forgot did about not. it. And well, here's let me tell you something. Well, no, let me tell you something. The reason that I didn't forget about this, because I, look, it's okay to break rules and stuff, but my favorite rule, I hate, hate, hate when authors violate Chekhov's gun. Freaking hate it. So they mentioned that dampening disc and immediately I was like, oh yeah, that's Eldari tech. That's pretty weird. Why would they have that? And then it's never mentioned again. So as I'm coming to the last three quarter of the book, I'm like, son of a bitch. She threw that out and she forgot about it. She totally forgot about it. So then at the end when they bring it up again, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like I now want to give, I'm not a hugger, but I want to give you a virtual hug, Rachel Harrison, because you did not violate Chekhov's gun. I'm very happy about that. Um, it's one of those little things that drives me insane when books and movies introduce something and then it's just never mentioned again. It It's one of my most hated horror novels of all times is actually by Dan Simmons, which is funny because he also wrote one of my favorites, The Terror. But he wrote a book called The Winter Haunting. I have a rant about it. I'm happy to share it with you someday. <laughs> he violates <laughs> Chekhov's gun and it pisses me off. And it's clear he just forgot. See, that's why so, this stuff is written for me, who doesn't remember that, and unless I read it more than once. Okay, that's fair. And then I'll be like, oh, right. Okay, okay, I kind of remember that. Because honestly, the dampening, because I didn't realize that was Eldari tech. Because again, I, as it says down here, I am the rookie. So some of these things just aren't exactly obvious to me. Right. Like Pisanius's arm. Like, when you're like, oh, that's so Necron tech. I'm like, yeah, sure, it was. Like, totally, I, I knew that. Yeah, I totally knew that. Yeah, no, I had no idea. I knew it was something not right. Well, according to the Imperium, but, you know, I didn't know it was Necron. It's was, it was the same thing. So I don't really know what this has to do with anything. Um, the fact that they brought it in at the end, it's I'm like, okay, weird. so that's got to mean something somewhere. Whether it's in one of her short stories or it's uh, going to be a tie-in to the sequel. I, I think know. it's the sequel. I think this was her firmly setting up the sequel. But the question is, where do Severina and then Tari go from there? Because she has basically been given a task. She's been set upon a mission. You need to figure out. And yeah, well, there's a bunch of stuff. People to kill. This, exactly. They're in the middle of a Bailstar's crusade. She's not exactly secret agent man here because she's not an inquisitor. She's not part of an inquisitor's retinue. You can't just take an entire regiment of the Antari and be like, okay, y'all go solve a mystery. All right. It's not Scooby-Doo. And, but I do. So are you saying that she's Daphne and uh, Fel is Fred? I mean, obviously. When they go split up. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You know what that means? Wick is shaggy. <laughs> but then that makes Zane Scooby. Sucks. No, no, Zane's not Scooby. I'm just saying Velma? because Zane doesn't need the Scooby snacks the way that Wick obviously does. That's true. <laughs> Except Scooby's extra heroin. 
I'll say that. I'll say Zane is Velma. Yeah, she probably is. But I do like that. I'm trying to find the exact line, but I do. I mean, they, they basically are put on a mission. Like you got to figure this out. So but they're going to have to do that. Like while they're also fighting. Now, granted, it sounds like similar to the Sabbath world's crusade where the Tanith were just pick a planet, any planet, and you're going to be fighting some people. So I guess maybe they show up as part of their, their investigation. Like, okay, we're going to kick some ass and then we're going to go investigate some shit. Um, or does the dampening disc have a lot to do with the cult in the first place? Well, yeah, exactly. Like, how how are they getting this? This is weird. Well, and remember, they're still, they didn't really solve the question of how they're getting all these awesome rifles and tech. And they're no, still. No, they didn't. So somewhere something is well, going pretty crazy. But they kind of did. They kind of do. Because I they mean, talk they about, you know, that stuff sent to the Strixian, even though. Yes, that was definitely some psychers that they were stealing and Mm -hmm. shipping off to them. But it had to have been some weapons, too. Because it had to have been. Just if nothing else, just to cover it up. So someone like opens the casket like, oh, hey, look at all these rifles. That makes sense. Right. So that I mean, but there's clearly a larger conspiracy at foot here or something just really weird going on. So I'm I'm actually excited. Or it's just not the only conspiracy going on right the, the one with us sarek he's not, the, not they've the got only conspiracies one. for days um it is warhammer they could have conspiracies for days that's true you know, um, if any if anyone out there doesn't believe me and you haven't read ravener go read ravener trust me pretty much um <laughs> what is that uh, from monsters versus aliens um when the general's describing the place where they live and they're like, it's a cover-up, deep-wrapped in a paranoid, deep-fried in a paranoid conspiracy. Yeah, that's pretty much the Warhammer universe. Um, guess what, Jen? Especially when you're... I've hmm? seen that movie. <laughs> I know, right? Well, that's, it's an underrated movie. It's not as good as Megamind, but it is fun. You can tell we have kids. I actually <laughs> like that one more than Megamind, but that's just... Really? Well, we're partial to it, but... Um, I do, yeah, so she gets set on this quest. I actually got to the end of this, and when I read that, I was like, oh, good, there's going to be a sequel. Not that I really doubted that there would be one, because, again, with Gaunt, this, to me, felt like a torch pass. Anarch came out at the beginning of this year, and Anarch puts a pretty nice bow on the ghosts. I'm sure we're going to see them elsewhere. I'm sure the ghosts are still going to be active. Abnet might write another book about the ghosts. But I feel as though he pretty much wrapped them up and was like, okay, this is done. Now, with Caiaphas Canis, I think, is still going as well. Um, we needed another ensemble piece about the guards with characters that we can know and love, with a fun commissar and a fun story. And I feel like this was kind of that metaphorical torch pass. Maybe. Okay, I, the ghosts are done. Well, Let's I mean, if it Atari. is, I'm fine. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm totally signed up for it. Like, I, I, will, I will read the next book. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I... Which, you know, again, I, I went into it kind of, I was like, oh, okay, another Commissar story. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for the next one. I think there's ample ground for them to cover. Again, you've got these weapons, you have this disc, this goes all the way to the top. Um, another one of my favorite tropes. Uh, there's clearly a lot of ground for them to cover here. And, you know, we have to get Zane and Wick together, clearly. And shut up. So I'm convinced Wick is like half dead. Half dead. <laughs> half alive. 
<laughs> I don't know how his, I don't know how his heart is still beating after the double dose he took. Space magic. Space magic. Maybe they clean him up, Carrie. Sure. Don't take this from me. Uh, so the last thing I wanted to talk about really quickly, which we've already kind of touched on, is that this is one of the first books we've read that was written by a woman, starring a mostly female cast. You may not have noticed it, but your brain did. Um, it was very tit for tat. Uh, at one point, they're talking with the generals, and there's a dude and a woman, and there's and then the commissars, there's a dude and a woman. It was very tit for tat. Does it change the style? Does, does it matter in the, in the way that such things matter? So I actually sat with this question for like a long time. And okay. my big thing was that perhaps, because it was a female writer, that's why there was actually a true romance with a happy-ish. I can't say happy because it's Warhammer, but it's a happy-ish yeah. ending. They, they stay together. They confess yes. their love in a manner of speaking. So, right. yes. Um but the female cast does not feel that unusual. I feel like I've seen that in a lot of things, like especially um, Ravener. Most of his people were, were female. I mean, he had patients, he mm -hmm. had Kara. The, they picked up oh, that other girl that they had for a while, in addition to having Carl and, and Harlan Nail. Um, I've always felt like there was always very strong female characters across the board. And I think the only one I think that we have not, and that was Devastation of Ball. Not, not that I'm thinking That's true, yeah. Because even, because uh, Watchers of the Throne, I think the Sisters of Silence were huge in in that, obviously. I love my Sisters of Silence. Um, uh, Dark Imperium, um, there's plenty of strong female characters. Oh my gosh, if you look at the book Saint Celestine that we just read, Celestine Living Saint, Right, with all the battle sisters in it. Right, the battle sisters plus, you know, faith and faith and duty were shown as as female. The little girl Hope was female, mm -hmm. um, and that was written by Andy Clark, not a female. Um, so that doesn't feel that unusual. The only thing right. I would say that would make this distinctive: if you took the romance out of this book, I would never have known as man or woman. Not at all, because everything. Was, I think that's fair. I think everything was one hundred percent, or or if you had the romance end badly, then I'm like, yeah, I never would have known. You know, male or female, to right. be totally honest, because everything else in this book, the battles, the emotions, the culture, there was no difference between no. pick any other writer in the Black Library to Rachel Harrison. Right. No, agree 100%. Um, you know, one of the baddest bitches that we read about this year was Anharada in Spear of the Emperor. Right. Um, mm. No romance in that book. <laughs> um, no. No, the no. closest you had to that was just her, um, her extreme loyalty and, in a way, love to her master, even though he cracked her... I can't forgive him for that. I'm never going to let that go. The fact that he cracked her skull against the wall. Not once, but twice. She needed to snap out of it. She did, but uh, there's other ways to do it. Yes, but he's a space marine. That was efficient. Um, but, yeah. So, other than the romance, I think the romance was the only thing that tipped it off. And really, you are correct. It's the fact that it ends well. Because the romance itself, is not that unusual. The number of books that we have read with it in there 
Um, the fact, I have to imagine that Rachel Harrison knows her way around a romance novel. Again, there's just too many phrases and things that I'm like, oh my God, this is straight out of like 90% of the romance novels I've ever read. Um, again, I liked it. I use it as a compliment. Um, but, but I think it really, go on ahead. I was, it just, it, again, I wasn't like, oh, hmm. and I didn't expect to be, I didn't expect to read it and be like, yeah, this is clearly a woman. Women have no right place writing this. Obviously that was not ever in my mind, but I just thought if anything, I was just like, yeah, see, this is fine. This is great. This is awesome. Um, you know what I mean? Continue. Yeah, I totally forgot. So sorry. No. Oh, so the fact that it was like the romance 101, you said kind of checked off, you know, all, all that list. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and say that she had to do that to kind of ease in the romance. Because if you're going to do something totally different from typical romance novel, right? It may not, it, it may not work. But if you bring the tried and true methods in, mm -hmm. while it's still a Warhammer, it's a little more, it's a smoother transition. Right. Now, am I saying, do I want a Harlequin romance in my Warhammer? Absolutely fucking not, because those are terrible books. Those are like, you know, random little candy that you read when you're younger or lonely. And <laughs> I, I maybe have a few of them. You, you know, my mom did When too. I was younger and I didn't know any better. And I did read. And it's not that type of Harlequin. I Right. I read, okay, yeah, I read Harlequin my mom's Harlequins novel. when I was in high school. She never knew I read them. I was very good at sneaking books out of her library. She had an extensive romance collection, all right? Oh, my goodness. Daniel Steele was her jam. Ew. <laughs> Come on. The Times, Jen. The Times. Just, okay. Okay, just, fair. You know, it's like how you liked mysteries at that time. What did you read? You read Agatha Christie. It's just... What it was. Higgins Clark. Which is, even though, like, if you read one of Agatha Christie's face. books, you've read all of them, in a way, because they're so formulaic. But, anyway. That's a lot of those people. But I'm saying, like, if it... I don't want that. I don't want Daniel no. Steele. I don't want a Harlequin novel in my Warhammer. I thought this was done very well and in a very believable matter, because if you're going to tell me that these people are with each other all the time fighting together in awful situations together definitely seen skin it's just it's what happens when you're in a war things are going to happen well again not to go back to dragon age again but i don't know if you remember when you're in that first town you go and you find that mage who's escaped and she's looking for her friend she starts off by saying her friend who is a um shit templar right Templar, yes. He's a Templar and she talks about how they were friends and then they were lovers for many years and you're like, oh, that can happen and she's like, you can't keep healthy men and women together without people getting ideas. So that was always one of the things that, again, that's one of the reasons I always like the Gaunt's Ghost book is that it basically makes it sound like, yeah, shit, shit happens here. Um, especially happen, if you in the frame. Didn't that happen to you in Dragon Age Origins with your little elven mage? Talking to Colin in a cage. <laughs> oh my god, you guys! I'm still not over Dragon Age Origins. Um, <laughs> yes. So if you're if you start as a female mage, Colin, 
actually kind of flirts with you a little in the beginning. And then when you, if you pursue the dialogue, he's like, I gotta go. And then when you go back to the mage tower after it's been taken over, very Cullen, uh, when you go back to it, he's just like, no, you are not going to tempt me with the one thing I always wanted and can't have. And you're like, one of your dialogue options is, this is awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Which of course I, of course I, of course I said it. Of course, of course. I always play that. But um, yeah, so anyways, yeah so those are those things but for me if anything what it proved is i've always made the joke i have for years you know this i have made jokes that i'm like i'm gonna write a warhammer 40k romance novel because the universe can sustain it it can the universe is so vast warhammer 40k universe is so vast so varied it's so flexible that it can sustain that and to your point yeah there's so many women running around the warhammer 40k universe stack the whole book with him and we would be like okay this is this is this seems legit um like i like I what just, you said earlier can you hold a gun exactly can you hold a gun get out there um so i liked that a lot i liked that i every part of the book and really because i know that i have seen some things that oh thank god finally a warhammer 40k book written by a woman if anything it's like oh yes finally something to take over to fill the hole in my heart that the gaunt series is gonna lose heart because it has romance i just thought of my actual favorite other romance in the warhammer universe that it didn't end well because that's how that's how it do and it's uh, the warhammer do it's a david annandale's uh gray knights book sons of the titan oh is this couple they're not even a couple they fought together they're retiring together on this planet that the orcs have decided we kind of need some crump in here as the orcs do and but they always like looked out for one another they you know always hung out and he realizes that he should have told her how he felt that there was more to why he just kept coming by than just old times type thing and he never knew how she felt and she also went out like a badass she's the one who had such bad arthritis she couldn't hold a sword so she had them tape swords to her arms and i'm sorry that trumps anything any of the guys did in this book oh yeah no it's there's but again if you look at a lot of the books there's always those little nuggets of that right right? this just is a little bit amplified and i i liked it uh well because it's real yes you, you can't have these sorry you can't have these situations with all these people like you want to make everything equal okay great i'm all for it men and women this is fan-fucking-tastic but things are going to happen you can't have these people thrown together and not just like oh we're gonna sneak off and i did hate the phrase midnight dance but we're gonna sneak off behind the bushes and get this out of our systems like you're gonna actually have people caring for each other and so i think that's why And again, I'm just a sucker for a good romance. So right. I really liked that one. Um, when you read the Night Lord series, you'll you'll see what I mean. It's still one of my favorite romances in the in the um series. But the good so what makes me sad though is that now I've read or I guess it's a good thing. We've read this nice, warm, fuzzy book. Our next book is Ashes of Prospero by Gap Thorpe. I can't believe this is actually the first book we're reading by him. <laughs> To be totally honest. Oh, gosh, because we both like Gav Thorpe, too. Well, not only that, but it's not that we like him. He's 
a name. Semi prolific. Yeah. He's ADB. You know, he's he's up there. I mean, right now, Guy Haley's taking it all because I think Guy Haley's part machine at at this point. But you know, but like, especially if you look at like not not Horace Heresy stuff, but if you look at you know modern 40k gav thorpe is up there especially you go to him if you want to know anything dark angels go read gav thorpe's books yep so So i'm curious that's kind of exciting right yeah there's not going to be any romance in it i'm calling it now it's space wolves of course there's not going to be any romance just saying (laughs) it'll be a bromance Um, maybe between their wolves which is just a whole other thing i don't want to get into but yeah no there's not going to be a romance that'd be a little strange okay um, stop just saying you have issues like i'm just saying that somebody has to think of the logistics of this um i used to work for the dark corner of the internet uh so <laughs> do you want to take us out carrie i don't know i think i'm disgusted by that now so it's probably the proper time to take us out after all that right mm-hmm I'm just saying that maybe the Thousand Sons baked them a cake. Oh, you're sicko. Anyway, I'm done. So you have listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Honor Bound. Be sure to join us for our next book where we jump back into the Space Marine Conquest series and Space Vikings. Ashes of Prospero by Gav Thorpe. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. Good night, everybody. Good night.